Hello, I'm Joseph Aleo, and you are listening to Mage the Podcast, and we've got a great show for you today. My co-host, Adam Simpson, will be talking about the Book of Chantries, and it's chock full of great information. But before we begin today's show, I wanted to announce the winner of the Light and Grimoire Giveaway Contest, and the winner is Richard Brewster. Enjoy the book, Richard. You're going to love it. The Enlightened Grimoire contains every single rote that's been published in every version of Mage. It's incredible. Now, if you'd like a copy of the Enlightened Grimoire for yourself, you can pick it up at thestorytellersvault.com. And if you'd like to learn more about the Enlightened Grimoire, you can listen to last week's show with my interview with Charles Siegel. Okay, let's start today's show. Hello, Mage fans. This is Adam Simpson for Mage the Podcast. And today, the topic is Tomes of Magic, Book of Chantries. This is one of the very first books for Mage the Ascension. It has a number three on the spine. And this was one of two books that was uh, started uh, before Soteros Bracado signed on as line developer. Uh, the other was an adventure uh, to introduce Mage to new players, and that was uh, Loom of Fate, which I discussed last time uh, I did a podcast. So Book of Chantries is um, detailing uh, chantries for the game. It uh, Chantries are, uh, just to define the term, it's a, a gathering place for mages. It is a home for them. It is where they study. It is where they hide out. Uh, it is where they... Um, uh, cooperate with other mages, um, advance their magic. Um, it's a stronghold for them where they can mount operations that they're going to um, carry out. It's uh, basically a headquarters for a group of mages. And uh, chantries can be dedicated to uh, one particular faction of mages, like a convention inside the technocracy or a tradition inside the Council of Nine, uh, or they can be um, mixed. Uh, you can have a, a group of mages who come together and form a chantry for uh, any reason that uh, is important to them and not necessarily representing a particular faction of mages. So those of you who are new to mage, now that you know what the word chantry means, there are two other terms that we're going to discuss today, uh, just to bring you up to speed. Uh, one is node. Node is a game term for uh, any place uh, on planet Earth where uh, quintessence, which is basically magic energy, uh, naturally collects. And nodes are very important to mages of every stripe because once they control a node and properly tap it, which is um, open it up so that they can uh, receive all of the magical energy that it has, uh, they can use that quintessence to uh, power their magic, uh, to um, send out to the um, Umbra, the um, kind of the spirit world, where they can create uh, what is called a horizon realm. And they can use that horizon realm for a variety of purposes. <clears throat> So nodes are uh, very much in demand among mages, and uh, this book makes it clear that there are a lot of conflicts between mages over uh, ownership rights for a node. And um, uh, the cairns of werewolves and um, places that are important to wraiths and fairies in the world of darkness are also sometimes uh, counted as nodes where quintessence collects. And uh, that can lead to conflicts between mages and other supernatural denizens of the world of darkness, if you're interested in crossover games. Um, chantries are 
called chantries by mages in the Council of Nine. That's the tradition mages. Uh, members of the technocracy call their chantries constructs. And uh, labyrinth is the term for Nefandi chantries. And uh, for me, the book wasn't really clear if uh, labyrinth is a term that Nefandi use themselves or if mages in the technocracy and the Council of Nine call the Nefandi places labyrinths. I guess that's open to interpretation by storytellers. Last term to define today is a horizon realm. Uh, this is a term that is misunderstood uh, by a number of mage fans, or at least uh, seemed to be uh, some years ago when I was more active uh, on the internet with uh, mage forums. A horizon realm is an artificial umbral realm. Uh, the umbra in World of Darkness and the World of Mage is the, the spirit world where using magic, a mage can walk into the umbra and from there see a spiritual reflection of uh, the place on earth that he or she just left. Now traveling farther into the umbra takes a mage farther away from earth and into particular realms, uh, little worlds that exist inside of the umbra. And once a mage steps into a realm, there will be a uh, different environment, different laws of reality. It's uh, you could see the Umbra as a place full of doors, and every door leads to its own realm. Well, most of those realms are naturally occurring realms, but a horizon realm is man-made. Uh, it is one created by mages, and for some reason that mages don't fully understand, when they create an artificial realm, a horizon realm, it always forms uh, right along the horizon. Now, the horizon is a naturally occurring barrier between the near umbra and the deep umbra. Uh, near umbra is much more hospitable to uh, werewolves, mages, and um, the umbrud, the spirit creatures that exist there. Once you uh, get through the uh, horizon and get out to the deep umbra, that is much less hospitable. It's uh, The analog is it's kind of like going from orbit out into uh, deep space. Uh, the deep umbra is mostly empty, um, very great distances between things, and uh, very strange, very hostile beings exist out there. But um, as I said, horizon realms uh, naturally want to stick to the horizon. And so because of that, uh, they have uh, portals within them that can lead a mage to the deep umbra or to the near umbra. And uh, this makes an interesting plot device in the world of mage because <clears throat> if something that is out in the deep umbra uh, can get access to a horizon realm, which uh, supposedly is easier than breaking right through the horizon wall itself, then once that being is inside a horizon realm, uh, it's not too hard to find another door to get into the near umbra. So it's kind of like uh, a uh, passageway for them. And uh, according to mage lore, there are a number of beings out of the deep umbra who want to get into the near umbra because the near umbra will let them get closer to earth and earth is supposed to be the source of quintessence of magical energy so there are a lot of beings that need that energy to further their plans or even to continue existing so uh, horizon realms created by mages are very desirable to a number of uh, uh, scary beings out in the deep umbra so mages have to defend their horizon realms not only from other mages that would like to use them but also from 
um, unknown beings uh, in the deep umbra that would try to break through. So very important to have good security once mages create those horizon realms. Uh, so the question naturally arises, well, if horizon realms are so dangerous, why do mages want to make them? And that is because uh, horizon realm is a place where a group of mages can define uh, for themselves the environment, the uh, conditions, the um, uh, magical conditions, uh, which means if, um, say, uh, mages of the Order of Hermes uh, pursue a certain kind of a magic that in the Middle Ages on Earth uh, was easier to do, but now because of the disbelief of uh, the masses of regular people, uh, hermetic magic has become very difficult on Earth. But if these mages create a horizon realm, then they can set all the conditions. They can say, this is a place where hermet hermetic magic is natural, it's normal, it's an everyday thing. And all of the beliefs of the sleepers, the uh, non-mages on earth, the regular people, uh, don't apply here. So we are free to do any kind of magic we want. We don't have to worry about paradox. Our magic is going to be easier to perform. So we can uh, create talismans here. We can do very powerful magical effects with much less risk. We can further our magical research without worrying about the difficulties we would encounter on Earth. And also, if we can keep that portal from Earth to our horizon realm low-key, then a lot of people will not even know that we have created this horizon realm. Uh, some people say, well, why not just get one of the uh, umbral realms that's naturally occurring and make a uh, headquarters there? And uh, the reason that most mages don't want to do that is because umbral realms are uh, usually very strange alien places where a number of things are going on, a number of beings exist that uh, have nothing to do with humans or mages and may not be very friendly towards them. And even if they are, a lot of umbral realms are such strange and odd places uh, that already have their conditions defined that it is not a blank slate that a group of mages can uh, paint their own ideal picture upon. Uh, they have to deal with the conditions that are there and that are usually either very strange or even hostile. So the horizon realms are very desirable for those mages who have enough quintessence coming from nodes to create them and to have the necessary magical knowledge to create them. So now that we've got the terms out of the way, uh, chantries, nodes, and horizon realms, we can talk about uh, Book of Chantries and what it has to offer for us. Uh, Book of Chantries is, is uh, the only book that I know of. I'm pretty sure it's the only book in all of the published mage line that uh, focuses on the topic of chantries. So it makes a great point of departure uh, today for discussing chantries in general once I've covered uh, what you'll find in the book. So uh, hopefully this episode won't stretch out too long, and uh, hopefully I'll be able to offer you some ideas uh, of my own regarding chantries that uh, might make your own games more interesting. And of course, if you come up with some ideas of your own, uh, please let us know at Mage the Podcast. We always like to know what our listeners are doing in their own games and what ideas they are having for games they'd like to run in the future. So getting back to Book of Chantries, I can't remember if this was 1993 or 1994, probably early 1994. It's difficult to get exact uh, publication dates on these older mage books. Um, oftentimes it's just the year that we can find by looking in the uh, first pages of the book. 
A book of chantries offers us four chantries of the traditions, that is the Council of Nine. We get one orphan chantry, three technocracy constructs, and two Nifondi labyrinths. And the two Nifondi labyrinths are pretty atypical. Uh, I don't know if that was done on purpose or, or just to make them interesting. Um, most Nefandi labyrinths are places where one or more cabals of Nefandi have uh, set up a uh, chantry that is to their liking and um, where they pursue their own ends. The two Nefandi labyrinths that we see here in this book are atypical in the sense that one uh, has only one true Nefandus, and he has set up shop there where he has coerced a number of tradition mages to basically be his pawns and carry out his goals. And so uh, you could see these um, tricked uh, tradition mages as being Barabi, that is, um, used to be not uh, members of the traditions, now they are Nafandi. Uh, but on another level, you could see them as not typical Nafandi because uh, they seem to have been told very little about what the Nafandi is like, and uh, they've been given just enough information to pursue the goals of the one Nafandus who set up that labyrinth. Uh, the second Nafandi labyrinth is um, sort of a renegade Nafandi, Nafandus. Uh, he used to be a full regular uh, Nafandus, but he is rebelling against the Nafandi and wants to break out of the group and disassociate himself from them. And so it's kind of a, a lawless breakaway uh, Nafandi labyrinth. And so that's uh, detailed in the pages here. But... Um, uh, together, these ten chantries uh, give us the first look that uh, mage fans had at that point of uh, what chantries are like. Chantries are very important to the game of mage. They were mentioned a number of times in the first edition core book, and so it was really great that uh, they were able to give us this book as one of the first few supplements for mage. Uh, I really enjoyed it because it seemed to open wide the world of mage. It told us not just about uh, mage society and the Ascension War and the sorts of projects uh, mages were involved in, but it gave us a whole series of uh, chantries out there in the Umbra where um, we could see a much bigger picture of the world of mage. We were able to see how mages create these horizon realms, how they sometimes, uh, uh, instead of making a horizon realm, they will find a naturally occurring umbral realm and put their chantry in there, like the hermetic uh, chantry of Doisetem. So some of the chantries we see in here are old and very well established. Some are very new. Some uh, could be considered typical chantries for mages. Some are very uh, atypical. And so it really gets uh, ideas running for a lot of mage fans. Uh, really, really was appealing for me when I first read it. I highly recommend it to um, mage fans, uh, regardless of what edition of mage you are running, um, with the possible exception of revised edition. If you are running your games in revised edition, Book of Chantries might not be the best thing for you because revised edition um, set up the Avatar Storm and made it very difficult for mages to travel to the Umbra and really. Um, tried to focus on mage conflicts on Earth and uh, closer to street-level conflicts, less cosmic in scope. And so I think Book of Chantries might not be fully appropriate for people running in revised edition. But for first, second editions, and uh, also Mage 20, um, this is a great book uh, to get your hands on.
So let's talk about what makes it so good. Uh, not only does it give us 10 chantries, it gives us information on how mages tap nodes, how they find nodes, uh, why they why nodes are so contentious. It really gives us some good information on why mages are struggling so much to get their hands on one or more of these valuable nodes. Uh, also, there is a uh, fairly large section towards the uh, early part of the book uh, giving information about the technocracy. Now, in these early days of first edition mage, the technocracy was seen as a villain group. And um, Soteros Bracado, even though he was working on this book, he had not yet really uh, put forth his own ideas of opening up the technocracy to be a more uh, sympathetic group and also to be a, a viable option for uh, player characters. I'm really glad that he did that, but at this point, it was still a little too early for that. So a lot of mage fans had read a bit about the technocracy in the first edition core book, but uh, they didn't really know very much about it. Uh, Luma Fate did not give all that much more information. And so there's a section here in Book of Chantries that uh, while it uh, tries to give more information to readers about uh, technocracy constructs, that is, technocracy chantries, but in the process, it gives a good amount of information about the technocracy itself, um, what the five conventions are like, how they interact with each other, the sorts of things they're trying to do, um, how they organize themselves and uh, conduct their affairs. So uh, at that point, it was very valuable uh, for mage players um, also, there is very good information on uh, not only examples of uh, chantries, but also uh, rules on uh, how mages, um, uh, let's see, it gives the rotes needed to create Horizon Realms. It gives uh, rotes necessary to open up uh, portals between Earth and the Horizon Realms that they create. Uh, it also has a um, set of rules for how to create uh, your own chantry, but either as a storyteller or even as players, there is a new background added called chantry, and it's from one to five dots, like the other backgrounds for mage. And if players take this background, they get creation points, and those creation points can be used in this new rule system in this book uh, for chantry creation. So not only is a set of handy guidelines given to a storyteller for them to uh, set up a chantry to use. Um, you know, and people it with NPCs and use it in their own stories. But players um, can get together and say, hey, we're going to make our own chantry right off the bat, uh, our own hideout and headquarters. And so it gives rules that players can use. Now, I describe myself as a do-it-yourself gamer. And uh, what I mean by that is when I'm running Mage, um, I like to create my own NPCs, even if I'm using a published uh, setting uh, or place um, for Mage, I usually take out all of the NPCs, uh, create my own. Uh, regardless of what role-playing game I'm running, I like to create my own uh, adventures or, or stories. Um, I like to uh, handle things myself. Um, I like to change uh, rules of a role-playing game that I'm running. Uh, we call that uh, house ruling or making your own house rules. Um, so, I mean, I even... Uh, I have a wood shop in my garage, and I make the bookshelves that I put my gaming books on. So uh, maybe I'm taking this do-it-yourselfer ethic a little too far, but uh, uh, be that as it may, uh, I do really appreciate it when a game publisher gives me a set of rules where I can 
take the setting of a game in my own hands and uh, create uh, my own things for it. So I really appreciated the Chantry creation system that they offered me in this book. So really recommend it for that reason. So let's uh, look through a few things in this book uh, before we move on to some other topics. Uh, they did a really good job of dropping plot hooks uh, in this book. Really enjoyed that. There are a number of Chantry write-ups uh, that make up the bulk of the book, where there are so many plot hooks. Now, a plot hook is a general role-playing term. It means um, an idea for a game master or storyteller uh, that they could use in their own games. So one example is, uh, uh, for a lot of these chantries, it talks about how the chantry has a horizon realm, and it talks about what it's like in that horizon realm, because most of these are very different from Earth. Then it talks about the nodes on Earth that connect to a horizon realm, because uh, you have to remember that a horizon realm is an artificial umbral realm, and uh, not only is it created by mages, but it has to have quintessence feeding into it continually, or it will break down and cease to be. It will, it will just break up and, and uh, fade away. So uh, any horizon realm that mages create has to have connections, uh, links, to nodes on Earth feeding it quintessence. So we see a number of these uh, nodes on Earth, and uh, the book talks about how, because nodes are very valuable to mages and other supernatural beings, they have to be defended, they have to be protected, and that is where a lot of plot hooks uh, come in, uh, especially Doisetep did a, a great job of this. Doisetep is a hermetic chantry, a Council of Nine chantry in this book. It is a large, powerful, and very old chantry, and because of that, it has a lot of nodes on Earth. And these nodes have to be uh, supervised, they have to be checked up on. Um, if there's any problems, then the intruders have to be chased off. And uh, the mages of Doisetep have to keep a close eye on these nodes, because if they lose enough of them, then the quintessence uh, coming into Doisetep will be so little that the Horizon Realm, uh, or in this case, um, uh, its position in another realm, uh, will be in jeopardy. And uh, they could lose the uh, part of the. They could lose the chantry itself. Uh, in the case of Doisetep, uh, most of the chantry's assets are in the uh, shade realm of forces. And you know, in the world of mage, every uh, sphere has its own shard realm and shade realm. I'm not going to go into that now. That's a, a topic more appropriate for a podcast about the Umbra. But even the um, chantries that exist in the Umbra and are not in a horizon realm, they're in a naturally occurring realm, which are, there are very few of these, uh, they still need their supply of quintessence or they are in uh, great jeopardy. So not only were there plot hooks for the nodes, but uh, there were a number of plot hooks, plot hooks, I'm sorry, for NPCs that live in the chantries. There were uh, plot hooks for uh, possible conflicts or future occurrences in these chantries. So reading through this book, there's just so many ideas for a mage uh, storyteller and even for players that uh, it makes it a very appealing book. Uh, this book is the first time that we see second edition Dream Speakers. Uh, Dream Speakers are a tradition inside the Council of Nine. And between first edition and second edition, they, they really changed a lot. Uh, that tradition changed its nature, its background, uh, what it's like. I'm not going to go into a lot of detail now. That's uh, really a better topic for uh, a podcast that focuses on the Dream Speakers. But I mean, just to make a long story short, it used to be um, uh, 
a very, very loosely defined uh, tradition that accepted any sort of a mage that had dreams that pulled them towards this group. In uh, second edition, uh, dream speakers are almost entirely made up of, uh, I guess you could say, native people groups around the globe who practice um, very tribal, primal, older uh, form of magic. So you might have a uh, group of Pacific Islanders uh, who would have their own group within the dream speakers, and then you would have um, a tribal sub-Saharan African group of mages, and they would be another group within the dream speakers, and Native Americans, and, and so on. Uh, in Book of Chantries, we see a uh, chantry that was created by Native Americans uh, who are dream speakers, and it um, very much focuses on uh, their style of magic, on their needs, on their thoughts about how a chantry ought to be. So, uh, yeah, this is the first time we see second edition dream speakers. Um, uh, at this point, the technocracy is still presented to mage players as very much a villain group, an uh, NPC uh, opponent that they would face off against. And so uh, we get this line that I'm going to quote in here. Misery is the common thread that links the diverse constructs of the technocracy. So I remember reading this and thinking to myself, oh, damn, the technocracy is a powerful group. They have constructs uh, everywhere, and every single one of them is miserable. Wow, what membership does not have its privileges in this group. But as second edition continued, uh, the um, way that the technocracy was presented opened up a bit. And so um, I'm not against uh, retconning uh, the technocracy constructs a bit uh, in light of the newer material and uh, changing things a bit, but uh, that's, uh, that's up to you. The uh, constructs uh, that we see in this book, there are three of them, uh, are presented as uh, rather unhappy places to be, but um, very good information on them nonetheless. Uh, so this covers uh, the good points of uh, Book of Chantries. A uh, lot there, uh, very uh, highly recommended uh, for me. Now, there uh, are some weaknesses with the book. I wanted to uh, uh, discuss those. Hopefully, I won't spend too much time because I also want to get on to the greater discussion about uh, chantries. Uh, Doisetep is a hermetic chantry. Uh, it is the oldest and most powerful, most well-known of all uh, tradition chantries. Uh, the write-up here, I feel, suffered uh, very much from a theme that they wanted to present in this book. Um, the uh, I can't remember the name of the... the main author, but also Satiros Bricado, they, they both uh, coordinated and both contributed a lot of material to this book. And they wanted to push this theme that uh, chantries go through seasons. Uh, when they're first created, they're in their spring season. They're weak, but full of potential. Then they go to summer, where they're more powerful and uh, uh, very active and, and positive. And then they move to autumn, where they are beginning their decline. And then they move to winter, where they are... Um, limited by a lot of problems that have occurred. They are not as active. They do not have a lot of uh, good possibilities to look forward to. Um, this idea was, was quite interesting and can be used very well in your Mage Chronicles, but um, it can also be um, 
overemphasized. Um, I, I don't like to uh, stick to it dogmatically. And this book really wanted to uh, push it by uh, showing it in a number of the chantries, especially Doisetep. It presented Doisetep as a chantry that was in its winter because it was um, its glory days have passed. It's very old. It's full of um, uh, too many conflicts, very dangerous ones. It's not near as active as it should be. Uh, to be honest, it presented it as a very um, depressing and kind of a crazy place where uh, mages are uh, being they're assassinating each other. Even the new um, uh, uh, trainees, uh, the new mages who are just learning their their first steps, are getting uh, killed in the hallways in the middle of the night on accident. Uh, it's such a dangerous place. It was it was overkill, in my opinion. Uh, if I was going to present Doisetep in one of my games, um, I would uh, tone that down a bit because I think they really took it too far. Um, also, this book is the first time that uh, uh, we see the Order of Hermes presented as a uh, group of ruthless uh, political backstabbers and manipulators, and um, I think that uh, was overemphasized in the book. Uh, there is a tradition chantry called the House of Helicar for the Euthanatos uh, tradition, and in the write-up, I really couldn't tell if this chantry exists in its own horizon realm or if it exists in the shade realm of entropy. They seem to switch back and forth in the description, and it just wasn't clear to me what they were talking about. Uh, Lodge of the Gray Squirrel is a dream speaker chantry uh, detailed in the book, and um, this for me was the greatest weakness of the book because it has to do with basic themes of the game. Uh, Lodge of the Gray Squirrel is a um, chantry that has created its own horizon realm, and the Native American dream speaker mages wanted to create a place not only where they could pursue their own goals, but where their own uh, Native American um, tribesmen who were not mages uh, could find a place to escape from all of the injustice and, and problems that were occurring in the United States uh, at, at that time that they started the uh, horizon realm. And so what they did was the mages went to the unawakened sleepers in their uh, you know, tribal groups and said, hey, we've, we've created this utopia far away from the problems of the real world. Uh, come with us uh, through the portal and we'll all live there and uh, create our own, basically, utopia. And when you read through the description of the Chantry, it says that, yeah, this utopia worked out fine. It's this great place where uh, several Native American uh, tribes have settled, and uh, they live far away from uh, the real world, and they're very happy, and they're peaceful, and they get along, and there's no problems, and they all want to stay, and they look forward to a bright future. And I see this as a real problem uh, with Mage, um, because I don't think that um, the game should ever present magic as being a way to solve all your problems. I think Mage uh, does a much better job when it is in the mode of saying, hey, magic gives you a lot of abilities, it solves a lot of problems, but it brings a lot of new problems with it. So the life of a mage is not necessarily happier than the life of a sleeper, it's just quite different. And uh, I think they, they fell down on the job um, on this uh, Lodge of the Gray Squirrel description. Um, I think it would be much more interesting and also much more plausible if they uh, presented this as being a failed utopia or having just a lot of problems. Because when you take a large group of sleepers and take them through a magic doorway to a magical world that is 
basically cut off from the real world. And then you try to say to them, hey, we're, we're mages, we're very special here, we have, uh, we're kind of in charge, we're, we're very high-profile people in this magic world, and we've got a doorway, we can go back to the regular world whenever we want to, we pass back and forth, but you guys, hey, you got to stay here, because, you know, security and, and uh, resources and all that stuff, you, you guys got to stay in the Horizon Realm, but uh, we go back and forth all we like. So isn't that great? I don't think sleepers would think that's great. I think they would go through the portal and then find that there are a number of uh, resources, um, amenities like, I don't know, electricity, plumbing, uh, stuff like that, that they're not going to find in this world and they're going to have a very hard time establishing and they're going to get uh, disillusioned with things pretty quickly. So I, I just, I think it was... Um, a poor idea on the part of the writers to present this utopia where everything is great because magic has solved all our problems. Uh, I would I would handle things uh, differently if I were running the game, but th that's just my ideas. Maybe you will uh, have a different uh, different set of ideas when you read through this, but I uh, just wanted to offer that for something to chew on as you uh, head through the book yourself. Uh, last weakness that I was finding with the book was um, there are uh, descriptions of two uh, technocracy constructs. One is called Mecca and the other called Null B. Uh, these are interesting places, but uh, what I had a problem with was uh, in Mecca, they have this setup where they capture enemy mages and turn them into slave workers, and they put these collars on their necks that extract quintessence. And so Mecca is not only a place where the technocracy um, you know, does their own thing, but it's also a place where they create uh, they farm quintessence, and then they carry it out to other technocracy constructs to help them. And I'm wondering, how do you get quintessence out of people? I, I don't think that was thought through very well. Um, it says that only uh, mages are uh, created uh, are made into slaves in Mecca, and only uh, mages uh, produce this quintessence. But uh, looking through all the editions of mage, I see that mages never create quintessence. They always have to go to a node to get their quintessence, or get it from tasks that originated at a node. Uh, the only way to pull quintessence out of human beings is to pull it out of their um, the pattern of their body, and uh, that would cause great physical damage to that person. You would uh, get a small amount of quintessence and cause a lot of bodily harm to the person. And this can be done to mages and, and sleepers both. So I, I just wasn't quite sure what they were thinking of when they uh, wrote up this description on Mecca. Um, also on Null B, it uh, says that they harvest quintessence from the deep umbra. Uh, well, in all of the editions of Mage, uh, in a number of places, it says that there are beings out in the deep umbra that can't get quintessence and really want it. And because of that, they try to break through the horizon barrier and get to Earth where the quintessence is. So if Null B is harvesting quintessence out in the deep umbra, you got to wonder where are they getting it? And wherever they're getting, it is possible to get some quintessence out in the deep umbra, but where you're getting it from is probably going to be some uh, supply or phenomena or even being that wants that quintessence for its own ends. So I think after some time went by, you would accidentally discover that you are stealing something else's quintessence and that something really isn't very happy with you. Uh, that can make for a lot of uh, interesting um, uh, chronicle ideas, but that was not mentioned in the Null B write-up. It simply says, hey, there's quintessence out there, we get it, and there's no problem with it, and uh, let's 
carry on and talk about null B. So uh, to me, that, that seemed like a weakness. It just didn't seem very well thought through, unless there's some aspect of mage that I am not aware of. Uh, perhaps uh, those of you listening can enlighten me so that uh, I don't make problems like that in the future if I'm getting it wrong. So those are the weaknesses I saw with Book of Chantry, but uh, despite the weaknesses, I saw much more uh, in the way of strengths in this book. I really enjoyed reading it, and even after the enjoyment of reading it, I had so many ideas for Mage Chronicles. Um, I think you are going to get a lot of ideas too if you get your hands on the book and read through it. And even though this book was published more than 20 years ago, it is available today from Storytellers Vault, uh, which is a part of drivethroughrpg.com. So you can order it as a PDF or print on demand. Um, I didn't check to see if it's available as print on demand. Some are, some aren't, but uh, it's going to be available as a PDF. So this is a book you can pick up today uh, for uh, less money than when it originally came out, and uh, you can still make that a part of your games. And again, if you're playing Mage 20, like so many of us are, don't sweat the conversion. I, I really don't think it's going to be very difficult. Uh, okay, so from here, um, boy, I've been running kind of long, about 35 minutes here, but I would like to get into a discussion of chantries in general because this is such an interesting aspect of the world of mage. Um, I really like to use uh, chantries uh, in my games, regardless of what edition I'm working with, because uh, they really offer a great contrast. A Chantry, whether it's an earthly node or the horizon realm behind it, um, chantries offer a contrast that is hard to find uh, in, in other places in the world of mage. Uh, in a node or especially in a horizon realm, uh, mages can cut loose and do very powerful magical effects. They have much less need to worry about uh, paradox. Uh, they will have an easier time doing their magic. And so that uh, powerful magic that a lot of players uh, get interested in is, is much easier here. And they are more imaginative, uh, creative, different sorts of places where a lot of weird things can be encountered. And after you spend some time uh, with your players in these uh, Horizon Realms, you can take them back to Earth, the regular world of the Sleepers, where uh, there's much more paradox, magic is more difficult, and they have to. the players have to switch gears and realize, oh, hey, I'm, I'm back on Earth, I've got to be more careful, I've got to be more low-key, um, got to uh, plan more carefully my coincidental magic. And I think this contrast between the two different places will add a lot to your chronicle. Uh, mages will uh, get a better understanding of how they're part of this uh, mystical other world that most people have never even heard of. And uh, it emphasizes uh, those themes quite well. Uh, also, um, you know, I, I think I forgot to mention this earlier, but not every Chantry has a Horizon Realm. There are a lot of uh, Chantries that do not have Horizon Realms. They still can be considered Chantries because many of them are located at or near nodes. And so there's still quintessence for the mages uh, there. Um, but um, the larger, more powerful Chantries do create uh, Horizon Realms because there's so many benefits to be gained there. In the book, we get one orphan chantry uh, for the uh, Hollow Ones, and that is uh, a large two-story house that has no node, no source of quintessence, no horizon realm, uh, but it still counts as a chantry. It's a place where uh, four or five mages live and uh, pursue their own studies and uh, try to keep themselves safe in the world of darkness. But uh, uh, getting back to the general discussion, um, 
Uh, I wanted to remind everyone that uh, backgrounds are an interesting part of the game. Um, all of the mage characters will spend some dots in backgrounds, and this is the one uh, resource for player characters that cannot be increased with experience. If you uh, stick to the rules as written for the different editions of Mage, um, backgrounds are chosen during character creation, but after a character is complete and in play, uh, there's no way to spend experience and, and raise them. Uh, backgrounds go up or down according to what's happening in the Chronicle. Storytellers uh, at the end of a session will say to their players, hey, you get this many more dots in uh, Avatar or um, Arcane, or you lose this many dots in, uh, say, resources or talisman because of what happened uh, during this game session. So uh, node is one background where a uh, player character has access to a node and can pull quintessence out of it for their own personal use. And uh, chantries have everything to do with nodes. So if uh, players get involved uh, with a chantry, that is a great opportunity for a storyteller to increase backgrounds for the player characters. Uh, there is a new background introduced in Book of Chantries called Chantry, and uh, those are points that uh, players can use to um, create their own chantry. But even if you're not using that optional uh, background, uh, when a the player character joins a node or cooperates with a node, uh, not a node, I'm sorry, a chantry, or works with a chantry for um, a, a period of time, uh, that is a great opportunity for the storyteller to say, hey, you get this many dots uh, or additional dots in the node background. So you've got more quintessence you can use during the game. Uh, also, chantries are very important uh, to the world of mage. I think it's worth noting that the first uh, two supplements that were started uh, before the game had a line developer were one, an adventure, so that people had a practical example of how they could run this game, uh, and two was Book of Chantries, so that uh, players could uh, better use Chantries in their games. Because if you look at the rules carefully, uh, nodes and uh, the Chantries behind them are the only places where players can get Quintessence. Uh, they can start play with Quintessence, but once they spend it, the only way they're going to get it is to go to a node. And most nodes have been claimed by mages or other supernatural beings. There aren't a lot of just empty free nodes lying around for players to find, uh, even way out in the middle of the wilderness. So by introducing all this information on Chantries, uh, it uh, equips a storyteller to... Um, uh, help players be members of chantries or to uh, establish their own or to even uh, infiltrate a, a chantry. Um, because the Book of Chantries gives so much information on chantries, there are uh, rules and uh, um, resources here for uh, chantry security. Uh, what specifically do mages do to uh, protect their chantries? Um, uh, how you know what are the rules for these security measures? I mean, what are the dice you roll and, and difficulties and things that you check when you are either establishing them or uh, trying to infiltrate a, uh, infiltrate a chantry and get past these uh, security measures yourself? So uh, this book uh, gives you everything uh, you need to handle that, and I think that the writers of Mage intended for uh, players 
uh, to have their characters be members of chantries. Now, this is a uh, guesswork on my part, but after reading the early editions of the book, it, it really seems clear that um, the writers of Mage wanted chantries to be a part of these games. They were places where not only the player characters could get the quintessence that they need to power their magic when they're adventuring, but also it is a very rich source of stories, of plot hooks, of um, connections with other mages. A chantry is a place where a uh, player character can um, learn from their mentor, uh, ask their mentor for help, get a mentor if they don't have one. Um, mentor is an important background uh, for mages, but if a uh, a player character can start play without any dots in Mentor, and if they want to get one, um, this is a good place for the storyteller to provide one, is, is that a, a chantry that uh, they've either joined or visited. So um, chantries are a great place for storytellers to introduce story ideas uh, to the players. Uh, if the players are members of a chantry, then the chantry leadership can come to them and say, hey, we've, we've got a mission for you. Uh, we've got a job for you, uh, something that we really need you to do. Uh, or the, um, uh, the other use of a chantry is a place where player characters can go and say, hey, I want to increase my knowledge in the forces sphere. Uh, can somebody train me here? And the uh, people at the chantry can say, oh, yeah, sure, we can do that, but you got to do something for us. Here's your next uh, story idea. Once you complete that, come back and, and we'll give you all the training and forces that you would like. So chantries are uh, really, I think, an integral part of the world of mage. And so uh, it really was important that they put out this supplement and help people work them into their own games. Uh, now, when we are talking about ideas for chantries, um, one thing that uh, occurs to uh, a lot of us is uh, we've seen those Harry Potter movies in recent years. Uh, those A lot of people enjoyed those movies, and even if you didn't, at least you have uh, heard about them. Um, I think there are a number of people who are going to uh, be new to Mage, and when they come in, they don't really have a very set idea of uh, what the world of Mage is like. But you know, they enjoyed the Harry Potter movies, and there's probably a number of people saying, hey, could we do something like that? And yeah, Mage has you covered. Uh, if you are using a Book of Chantries, you can... Uh, Say that uh, you've got a cabal of player characters that have all recently awakened. Uh, they are uh, they have become members of a chantry where they are still uh, training under mentors. They are you know learning their magic and um, they know some, so you can start play. But if you use this book uh, together with the second edition supplement, Initiates of the Art, it is a natural fit for uh, those people who want to do a chronicle similar to Harry Potter. Uh, Initiates of the Art is a later supplement, which is not necessary, but a re really great one. It uh, tells you how to play uh, Initiates, how to play um, mages who are just starting out. Uh, they have... Um, less abilities, less power. They're not as strong as uh, regular starting uh, players um, from the core books of you know uh, first, second, uh, mage twenty, etc. So with these weaker student mages, uh, you could have them living at a chantry and subject to its rules and laws, and um, play through all the ideas you have uh, that you might get from watching Harry Potter movies or, or reading those books. And uh, there are probably a number of mage players who roll their eyes and say, oh my gosh, Harry Potter, I'm, that's not what I want to do with mage, but uh, hey, I can understand that. But uh, still, a 
uh, chronicle that focuses on students in a chantry uh, has a lot to offer, and Book of Chantries is going to be a, a necessary aid uh, for doing that. Uh, now, chantries uh, often exist within Horizon Realms that are, for the most part, um, very far removed from regular life on Earth, and even those chantries that do not have Horizon Realms are often in secluded places where people do not have a lot of contact with regular folks and regular society. So uh, most chantries uh, of all stripes are quite isolated places, and so uh, this makes it easier for mages to do the things they want to do there, but uh, it um, introduces a lot of ideas for chronicles that um, I think uh, really should be dealt with. Uh, one of those is um, if you get a group of people who all have the same um, mindset and separate them from regular society, then they can become very set in their ways. Um, uh, I think of the term uh, echo chamber, which is an expression, a place where everybody who thinks alike uh, separates from everyone else, and they all reinforce their ideology and get so dogmatic about it that they lose touch with reality and can get into some very odd thinking, sometimes even dangerous thinking. And uh, chantries have the capacity to become echo chambers for mages of, of a certain school of thought. So that is something that uh, can be worked with uh, in your chronicles. <clears throat> um, also, uh, one thing that I was really wondering about is just uh, marriage between mages. Uh, there are a number of examples of NPCs in the published mage uh, books. Uh, a number of examples of um, mages who marry and then have children who awaken and become mages. And it's never really discussed in the book, at least that I can think of, uh, does the child of two mages have a greater chance of awakening and becoming a mage? Or is it just like you know regular, regular people? Uh, because I'll, I'll tell you, if there's any noticeable uh, increase in the chance of this uh, mage child uh, awakening, then I'll tell you right now that every every chantry out there is going to make it a priority to uh, become matchmakers for the, their mages. Uh, if they've got uh, single uh, men and women uh, in their chantry, they're going to try and hook them up and get them to marry because uh, mages are the most valuable resource in the world of mage. There are very few people who awaken and can use uh, the sphere of magic. So if there's any way of creating more mages for your faction, uh, you're going to get a really big leg up in the Ascension War. So um, it would not at all be ridiculous to have a chantry where uh, a young man joins and he really wants to focus on his magic and the leadership of the chantry comes to him and says, hey, we've got this uh, single girl over here who's a mage and uh, you really, really ought to take an interest in her. And this young man is saying, no, no, look, I, I just want to study on my magic. Uh, that, that's why I'm here. I say, hey, hey, uh, this girl's really something. I mean, she's got the personality of a cold fish and she's not much to look at, but you're really going to love her. Hey, take her out to dinner on us. This kind of unwelcome attention is, is going to be a reality if uh, uh, children of two mages are more likely to awaken. So uh, something that I think about, maybe I'm just uh, kind of weird that way, but uh, moving on. Uh, one thing that I was really wondering about while reading this book uh, was how do chantries handle utilities and supplies? I mean, maybe I'm getting a little too far into the weeds here, but they create horizon realms 
and most of the chantry exists in this magical realm far removed from the world that we know. So uh, what about indoor plumbing and electricity and internet and uh, uh, food supplies and building supplies and, and all these other necessary things that mages are going to need? Because mages, a lot of mages live there full time. Not only that, but they're, they're acolytes, they're unawakened um, you know, servants and employees and helpers are there with them. And there's usually more unawakened people in a uh, Horizon Realm Chantry than awakened people. <clears throat> so how do these people get the things they need to live? Uh, a number of these uh, Chantry descriptions were just saying, hey, they've got um, uh, satellite TV and uh, internet in here. They have a computer network that a virtual add-up set up and, and all this great stuff. And I'm thinking, what about where do they get the electricity? Um, you know, it's just something I, something I think about. Uh, naturally, in Doisetep, which is in the shade realm of forces, there's uh, very strong lightning storms happening in the sky all the time. So it is not at all ridiculous to say that they put up some lightning poles and harvested that and have uh, electricity round the clock. That, that's not silly in my mind. But uh, at Lodge the Gray Squirrel, where they pursue a traditional Native American uh, mode of life, um, that's going to be more difficult to set up power lines and uh, utilities of, of all different kinds. Uh, not only would that be very, very difficult to establish on your own in a magical realm that's different from Earth, but uh, there's going to be a certain mindset among a lot of the people there saying, hey, that's what we're getting away from, not what we want. Let's not reestablish all the same problems as Earth. And then there'll be other people there saying, hey, you know, I really like indoor heating. It's, uh, I'm kind of weird that way. I, I like that. Uh, can I have that, please? So <laughs> there could be some conflicts over that. It's something that I think about when I uh, read about a lot of these uh, chantries. Um, an important thing that I would emphasize in a lot of my chronicles that use chantries is um, uh, getting to know the uh, unawakened uh, acolytes and servants in these chantries. Um, I think if uh, mages are going to visit uh, or become members of chantries, there's going to be a lot of um, a lot of things going on in those chantries. A lot of conflicts, a lot of uh, uh, politics, a lot of um, issues uh, between the residents of those realms. And to get a really good idea of what's going on, instead of talking to the mages, uh, really what you want to do is talk to the acolytes, uh, the unawakened people there. Uh, this uh, actually is a very similar theme to a lot of novels written about uh, the Edwardian period in uh, England, which was uh, the very late 1800s, very early 1900s before World War One. There were a lot of uh, wealthy families, some nobility, some not. They had large estates and manor houses. They had a lot of servants. And in these Edwardian novels, uh, one thing that was emphasized was, if you want to really know what's going on in this family or in this estate, then uh, don't spend your time uh, with the uh, you know ruling family, uh, get to know the servants. Talk to the kitchen staff. Talk to the butlers. Talk to the you know chambermaids and, and so on. They'll tell you what's really going on around here. And uh, I think that same theme is uh, going to apply to chantries and mage. A lot of the mages are very uh, focused on uh, the magic that they're working on. Some of these mages are quite narrow-minded individuals, and so there's a lot going on in their chantries that they're just not going to worry about or not even hear about. Uh, the acolyte staff is is uh, very aware of the fact that these mages want to focus on what they're doing, and so they're not going to trouble them with a lot of uh, the day-to-day -day, uh, bits of gossip or problems. So if uh, your player characters uh, really want to uh, find out what's happening in a chantry or, or gain some influence or some ability 
to uh, move freely once they get there, then uh, establish relationships with the unawakened acolyte staff. Um, one uh, practical example for you here is before uh, your players go to a chantry, try and talk to someone who has been there or someone who knows about it and say, hey, what, uh, what, what are they always wanting there but have a hard time getting? I mean, is there a certain food stuff or a certain supply that, that they really need and they just can't get their hands on? And um, now this NPC can tell them, oh, hey, well, you know, there's a lot of people there that have a really hard time getting to Earth. There's not much travel back and forth because of security concerns. And so they don't, they don't have any way to make their own chocolate. And uh, I don't know about you, but I kind of like the stuff. And so um, this NPC can say to your players, hey, if you stock up on a couple of pounds of, you know, grade A Swiss chocolate and uh, show up and start handing it out, you're going to make some friends there. And uh, the acolytes there are probably going to take a shine to you and they'll open up to you and tell you what's going on. And then you can, uh, you know, start uh, start with both feet firmly on the on the ground and understand what's happening in this chantry. Because uh, sometimes mages visit chantries just as a stopping over point when they're traveling somewhere else or because they're sent on some minor, um, uh, what is it, uh, errand from their own mentors. But a lot of times mages are going to a chantry because there's a problem there that they have to solve or that they have to stay there for some time because they, they really need to use it as a staging area for something they're doing in the Umbra. And so uh, they need to have a good understanding of what's going on. Uh, finally... Um, I had some ideas on uh, uh, portals. Uh, portal is a game term. It means a basically a magic doorway that takes you from Earth to the horizon realm of a chantry, uh, or even uh, from one chantry to another chantry, or from a place in the chantry to a uh, naturally occurring umbral realm. It's basically a magic door. And... Uh, these portals are presented in the game usually in, in one way, and that is a doorway that is always open, always working, uh, will always take you exactly where you think it's going to take you. It takes you from one fixed place in the Horizon Realm to one fixed place on Earth or another Chantry, etc. So, because these doorways are always open, they have guardians. Sometimes these guardians are mages, sometimes they are unawakened acolytes, uh, sometimes they are umbral creatures that have been uh, forced or contracted to serve as guardians. Uh, so what if you uh, put that assumption on the shelf and said, hey, what if, uh, what if the portals worked differently? What if the portal was uh, sometimes in one place, but uh, other times it shifted to another place? What if uh, the doorway doesn't work like we think it, it will? It's not like a doorway in a house where you, anything can move through it, but what if uh, only... Um, people can move through it and, and animals and, and large objects can't? Or what if a person has to be wearing something metal in order to walk through? Or nothing metal can pass through this doorway. People in clothing and wood and etc. can move through no problem and anything metal will get stuck and it just won't go through. Or you'll walk through the doorway and you'll find that whatever metal object just isn't there anymore. Or you know, maybe it's not metal, maybe it's uh, some other material or some other kind of an item. This can make portals a more interesting part of your game. Um, uh, a lot of uh, um, tradition mages will have a uh, special ceremonial knife or um, other object that is uh, very important to them. It's an important focus for what uh, they're doing with their magic. And so they walk through a portal and all of a sudden, hey, it's not there. I, I don't have that item. It's waiting behind at the other end of that portal at the node on Earth, and I'm going to have to go back and get it later. So uh, these can add some interesting ideas uh, to your own stories. Also, what if there was no 
uh, what if there's no actual doorway sort of portal? What if there's an area, uh, and anywhere within that area, if you carry out the rote or say the magic words or make the right gestures, you will appear uh, in the horizon realm. Uh, so in that way, you could set up a very clever trap, uh, since most mages expect a doorway. In one of these areas, you could create a doorway, maybe against the wall, maybe freestanding. And that doorway corresponds to a place in the Horizon Realm where you've set up a jail cell. So that the regular mages who are a part of this chantry will stand well apart from this doorway on Earth, they will say the magic words and appear in the Horizon Realm. But intruders will break into this place, they'll see that doorway, and they'll say, oh, well, that must be the doorway. I'm going to go through there and say the magic words that I've you know stolen from a scroll somewhere. And they appear in a jail cell. And then the guardian uh, Umbrud spirit in the Horizon Realm would alert the Chantry mages, hey, there's an intruder, and he's all bottled up. You can interrogate him now. So uh, I thought that might be fun to, to try uh, in a story. But uh, there's all different ways uh, you could work with these uh, portals. You don't have to take the assumption that it's just a standard doorway that's always open. So um, do with that what you will. Uh, I was also thinking, what if the portal was like a, a pool of water? Um, you have to uh, step down into the pool and, and duck down, and then when you stand up again, you'll be in the horizon realm and, and vice versa. Um, yeah, it, It's kind of interesting, more naturalistic, and uh, not every player character wants to get all wet. What if you have to take something, uh, an old scroll on paper or parchment, and you've got to get it to the horizon realm intact? And uh, you know, now there's a little complication that players have to deal with. Sometimes annoying, sometimes interesting for a uh, storyteller. And um, you can also have your portals uh, keyed to particular uh, times, like it only works at nighttime, it only works under uh, a full moon, it only works when it's raining. Um, what if uh, a mage or, or any person using the portal has to be in a certain emotional state to use it? Now, this might get annoying after a while, but if it's a place that the players don't go very often, what if you were to say, hey, you have to be really, really angry, or the portal won't won't work for you. And so now the players have, are in this uh, perhaps embarrassing situation where they have to get themselves all you know, angry and furious uh, before they can use this portal. Uh, it might be fun uh, in, in your stories. Uh, do with that what you will. Um, you could also say that there's a three-day delay before a portal can be used again. So if you're chasing someone, they go through the portal. Nope, it's not going to work for three days. Um, three days from now, you're going to get into the Horizon Realm, and then you'll have to catch up with the person or find out where they went. It's a complication that, that can be used well. And what if the portal is only an astral sort of a portal? Any person who walks through the portal, their body will fall asleep and fall to the ground, and their mind will astrally travel to the Horizon Realm. And so they will have an astral body sort of a semi-transparent um, appearance, and they will walk around in that uh, horizon realm and find that everyone else there has an astral body. And so it just makes it different. Maybe you could use that for an Akashic Brotherhood uh, chantry, and just, just to put a little different flavor for part of your, your chronicle. It's an idea. Um, I might try it sometime. So moving on, here are some ideas for... Um, using chantries in your own chronicles. Um, I'll try to go through this quickly. I'm, I'm uh, running a bit long here. Hopefully I'm not uh, uh, boring anyone. 
what if you were to have a chantry of Sons of Ether or virtual adepts? And in this chantry, in the horizon realm of this chantry, uh, they have uh, certainly dealt with the power uh, uh, problem. They've got electricity uh, and internet connection very well established in this uh, horizon realm. And so the player characters go there and visit and you could say that your player characters are all or mostly a mystical kind of mages. They're not techno-mages. They're not virtual adepts, technomancers, or sons of Ather. Uh They're like hermetics or verbena, dream speakers, etc. And once they get to this horizon realm, and after they meet a few people and kind of see how it works, the horizon realm is under attack, and the attackers shut down the power grid inside the horizon realm. So there's no working electricity. Maybe they use an EMP, uh, electromagnetic pulse bomb. This is a high-tech uh, real-world weapon that uh, when you set it off, you pe regular people don't see or hear anything. They don't even know that it has happened. But that electromagnetic pulse will scramble hard drives, uh, electrical devices uh, shut down or don't work properly. And so after the attackers have done this, all of the technomages that live in this horizon realm can't use their regular uh, foci, they can't use their regular talismans, uh, their normal kind of magic just doesn't work anymore. And so now the player characters are the center of attention. Their mystical magic works just fine. It doesn't rely on batteries or electricity or hard drives. So they can use their magic to uh, fight off the attackers and earn the trust and friendship and admiration of all of the technomages that live there. So <clears throat> uh, what if you had a chantry that uh, its portal only opened once every five or ten or so many years? And so during that, uh, say, five or ten year period, that chantry is completely cut off from Earth and from other chantries. It's just, just say it's a, it's a quirk of the Horizon Realm or the Umbral Realm where they established uh, this chantry. And the mages there have just learned to accept it. And so after the ten years are over, the Council of Nine calls on the player characters and say, hey, you have to go to this, this portal that is now open after 10 years, and you've got to walk through, see what's going on there, bring us back a status report. I mean, we're kind of worried about those guys. We haven't heard anything for 10 years. So once the portal opens up after 10 years, it will stay open for three days or a week or some, some number of, of uh, days that the storyteller will set. And so the player characters have to deal with whatever they find in there and uh, resolve it before that portal closes after a certain number of days. So uh, that can put a, a timer on your story, and uh, uh, perhaps that can give you something interesting to present to your players. Uh, as I said before, a lot of uh, uh, Horizon Realm chantries are very isolated communities, and so uh, the mages can get very, very locked into a certain mindset. Uh, what if you had a cabal of players, or just one player, whose job it was to check up on chantries? And maybe that's his, his uh, uh, role in the technocracy or the Council of Nine. Hey, you're the guy who travels between chantries uh, officially with our blessing, and uh, you'll just you know, spend some time there. And then come back to us and tell us, uh, how are they doing over there? Are they all right? Are they getting off kilter? Are they getting a little weird? Or are they, you know, regular, uh, good, decent folks? Uh, that's uh, one idea you can work with. Also, um, I had a, uh, a Celestial Chorus mage that I made as a character in someone else's Chronicle uh, a while back. And uh, he was a courier. Uh, his his job for the Council of Nine Traditions was he would carry uh, packages 
and uh, messages in between chantries. Because chantries are so isolated, it is um, very difficult for them to be in communication with the outside world. Um, even chantries that are on Earth, that are uh, in an isolated area way out in the wilderness or or uh, underground or something, uh, they're going to have a hard time communicating uh, with other places, uh, mostly because of security. Uh, if they have a phone line or an internet line, that is something that the technocracy can use to spy on them, or if you know, virtual adepts can use to spy on them. And so a lot of these uh, mage uh, strongholds uh, have very little communication uh, for necessary security reasons. So <clears throat> the person who can carry packages or messages between them becomes a lot more uh, valuable. It becomes a little bit more like uh, you know, uh, traditional settings. If you were to go back a few hundred years than most anywhere you went, even homes in, in regular towns, uh, they were very interested when someone new came into town because that person was carrying news of the outside world and they wanted to know. So uh, when your player characters visit a lot of chantries, um, you can play that up. You can have a lot of acolytes and even mages all gather around uh, the newcomers and say, hey, tell us what, what's going on on Earth or what's, what's happening in, in the rest of the world of, of mages. Uh, we, we haven't heard anything for weeks or months or even years, and, and we are all ears. Tell us about it. Um, that's something I try to be mindful of when I'm working with chantries uh, in a game. Um, now, let's see. Uh, what if you had an um, upset in the umbral courts? Um, uh, just to give you a brief explanation, in the umbra, there are umbral courts, and, and each court has a different theme, like the Egyptian gods or the Greek gods or, or even something else. And uh, there are powerful uh, umbrood um, creatures that are native to the umbra, and they uh, make up these courts. And because they are powerful umbrood lords, uh, they have agendas and um, uh, conflicts that involve a great many people inside the Umbra and on Earth and other places as well. And so what if you had an upset in one of these umbral courts? And because of that, the door slams shut to a tradition chantry. Uh, umbra lords have a lot of influence in the Umbra, and closing off a portal between a Horizon Realm and Earth is uh, something they can probably do. So the players are called in to rescue. Did someone in that chantry upset the Umbral Court? Uh, maybe there is um, some sort of a key to open up the portal again, some sort of talisman or, or powerful uh, artifact kind of item. And uh, the players are called upon to go and get that key so that uh, the chantry can reestablish uh, uh, Congress with the rest of the world. Maybe that key exists in uh, Akashic Brotherhood Chantry on Earth that is very isolated. It's up in the mountains, and that talisman is owned by an Akashic master who is well advanced in years, has been meditating for most of uh, his time, and he's really not interested in the conflicts of the outside world. And so when the players get here and ask for the key, this Akashic master just isn't impressed. And he isn't even very concerned about what's happening with the rest of the Council of Nine. And he says, hey, if, if you want that key, uh, you've got to uh, live here, um, uh, take part in our uh, customs and uh, practices and our meditations, and prove to me that you are the sort of people who are worthy of receiving this key. And only then will I give it to you. I can't just hand this 
this powerful artifact out to anybody who shows up. And so now the players have to uh, get into the mindsets of the Akashic Brotherhood, learn their ways, show that they are uh, good people, and only then will they be uh, given the key. And then they can go and open up the portal and, and rescue the Chantry Mages. One idea. Now, what if there was a horizon realm that is on the verge of uh, fracturing? Perhaps uh, the technocracy or some other enemy came in and raided and uh, uh, took over a lot of their nodes. So many nodes that the contestant supply feeding into the horizon realm is now dangerously low, and the horizon realm uh, could break up at any time. Now, let's say the players are already in this Horizon Realm. They're either members of that Chantry or they're just visiting for some reason. And uh, they are uh, called upon to help with uh, disaster control and evacuation. We've got to get everybody out of this Horizon Realm before it breaks up completely. Uh, now, in this process, they make contact with the messenger of a powerful Umbrood Lord who is able to preserve the realm. This Umbrood Lord has some power or ability to just solve the problem, like uh, snapping your fingers. But the Lord wants something in return. This Umbrood Lord says, I'm only going to stabilize this realm and give it back to you mages if uh, you steal a uh, powerful magical treasure that uh, this Chantry owns. Some you know real treasured, uh, powerful item that the Chantry has had for perhaps even hundreds of years and is an integral part of the beliefs and practices of the mages here. And so the player characters are told by this Umbrood Lord's messenger that if they steal this item, hand it off to the messenger, then they will save the realm, they will become heroes of the Council of Nine, but in the process, they will betray the trust of the leaders of the Chantry and the other uh, friendships they've made there. So, uh, can they resist the temptation? Uh, that's something you can explore in your own chronicles. So, that uh, wraps up a few ideas that I had for Chantries. There's always more, but uh, I've already run over an hour here, so I should probably wrap this up because, uh, like me, you probably have a lot of things that you need to uh, get to today. So, uh, in conclusion, I just want to say that the Book of Chantries was a really great supplement for any edition of uh, Mage the Ascension. Uh, I enjoyed reading it. I've used it in my chronicles a number of times. I would like to continue using it in some future chronicles. Um, I recommend picking it up and thumbing it through it, even if it's just a PDF for a few bucks. I think you're going to find something worth uh, reading there. And uh, even if you don't pick up the book, I encourage you to make Chantries a part of your own Mage Chronicles. They offer a lot of plot hooks, uh, a lot of possibilities, a lot of interesting ideas to grapple with, uh, both in terms of uh, the power of uh, your own players, but also the possibilities that you have in the game. So... Um, for Mage the Podcast, this has been Adam Simpson talking to you. You can find us online at magethepodcast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at magethepodcast all together. Uh, please subscribe to us on uh, podcast. Uh, I mean, not on podcast, I'm sorry, on iTunes. Um, also, if you've enjoyed listening to the show today, there are probably other people who would enjoy it too. And if you give us a good rating on uh, iTunes, then other people will have a much easier time finding us uh, in their own uh, searches there. Uh, so you'll be helping us out quite a bit. Uh, you can also find us on Google Play and the TuneIn app. We encourage you to listen to us in any way that uh, works best for you. So uh, this is Adam Simpson encouraging you to not only enjoy reading the Mage books, but uh, 
run a chronicle yourself. Uh, find some players out there, perhaps online, who can welcome you into a game, and I think you're really going to enjoy it. So, well, have a good week, everyone. This is Adam Simpson signing off. Goodbye. <laughs>